when I was in sixth grade, um, I think we can, or I guess before I start that story, I think we can all relate to um, this idea that when we start a school year, there's a lot of optimism, a lot of bright-eyed, hopeful thinking, um, you know, especially in elementary school, I feel like. Uh, at least for me, when I picture elementary school teachers, it's, it's usually like that first month where like you come into class and the teacher's always happy, right? Because no one, no one did anything wrong yet, right? I'm sure, I'm sure our teachers can relate. Um, like their, their name is on the board. They're like, hi, class. I'm Mrs. You. Oh, I'm Miss You for now. <laughs> Come on. Um, I'm Miss You. So happy to meet you guys. Everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's having a really good time, right? Then something happens a few weeks later. Some kid screws up, and for some reason, for whatever, whatever reason it is, the rest of the year is history, right? Like the dynamic really changes. It goes from cordial friendly, nice to, all right, we're going to get some work done <laughs> for this class, right? So when I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Dotwani, and um, I was the student that broke the ice my, in my sixth grade. I think it, it must have been a month into that year, and if you follow my uh, second Instagram page, Chow Eats Chow, C-H-A-O-E-A-T-S-C-H-O-W, um, you may have read the story, but I was in sixth grade. We were sitting in groups of four, and my friend Andrew um, from two tables across, he goes, hey, John, can you pass me a pen? I was like, sure, Andrew. So I take a pen out of my pencil case. I, I toss it to him across a couple of tables. Miss Dawani sees that. She's like, who threw that? And I was like, it was me. She was like, why would you throw things in the classroom? Do you throw things at your mom? And <laughs> Already, already, like, what do you expect? Me. I, like, I will laugh at that now. So I'm, like, trying all my, all my willpower to hold in my laughter. I'm like, no, like, I wouldn't. And Andrew, freaking Andrew, he goes, psst, hey, John. I mean, he, he's, like, imitating my mom now. He's like, hey, son, pass me the chainsaw. <laughs> I literally, I literally looked at my teacher's face, and I started laughing in her face. And she was like, she just ripped me in, in shreds. She was like, why are you laughing? You think this is funny? You think this is a joke? Oh, school's a joke to you, huh? You come in the class, you do it. I was like, oh my gosh. So I share, I share the stories because that, that moment for me was uh, an indication of the year has begun. <laughs> the year has finally picked up where it's not all fun and games anymore. Right, I really like what I do actually has an impact on my future. <laughs> you know, at 12 years old, I was learning these big lessons. Um, teacher, yeah, it's, it's just it, to me at the time, it felt like teachers are always nice until that first major L. And as and I share the stories because I believe, and as far as I can tell from the text in our passage today, the passage that we just read is David's first. Major L, as king. And not only as king, but this is the first mistake, the first screw-up, the first time he fumbled the bag ever that we read of up until this point in his entire life. <clears throat> and, you know, up, up, up until now, every time you've heard me talk about David, because we've been going through a series on David, um, from the time when he was a teenager, at the time he was running away from Saul, the time he became king, David was a pretty amazing guy. Right, David was selfless. David was um, 
Uh, he was strong. He was a fierce leader. He was a king. He was a natural leader. And yeah, really no mistakes were recorded of David up until this point. So our passage today illustrates David's first mistake. And it, it, for some reason, despite that being such a big moment in David's life and the big moment in the history of Israel, um, it often gets overlooked. Like oftentimes when we think of David's mistakes, the first thing we think of is, oh, Bathsheba, um, the woman taking a bath on the rooftop. But not many people think about this one. I th- and I think the reason is because it, it doesn't seem like such a, um, like a, what is it, a gut-wrenching story. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't captivate you that well. It's not very exciting. Um, all we read about is they're carrying some thing called the Ark of God. The ox stumbles. Someone puts his hand on it to protect it from falling. And then he dies. Right? Very, very anticlimactic almost, even though it results in a death, <laughs> unfortunately. <clears throat> but, but I think the, the issue that we see in this passage, the mistake that David makes in this passage, though it is not immediately obvious, though it is not explicitly a sin that we can see if we were to just take this verse out of the Bible and read it out of its context, and I were to read it and be like, oh, I don't think David sinned. I don't think, I don't think anyone sinned, really. Um, but in the context, if I were to understand what exactly, what exactly is happening within David right now, I believe that this is a going, this is, uh, bleh, sorry, this mistake and this L that David took is going to be a repeated theme in David's life moving forward. Um, the mistake that David makes is going to repeat itself throughout David's time as king. And that even includes the story of Bathsheba. Um, so the question obviously is, what is David's failure? What did David do? So as we continue to read about David, and I'm sure uh, this is only like chapter 6 of Second Samuel. But as we continue to read about David, we will continue, we will repeatedly encounter this particular theme over and over and over again. Um, not just in the fact that David messed up, but th- there's an overall theme throughout David's life and his time as king. And the theme is our main point for today in this relatively shorter sermon. And our theme is this. Despite David's failures, despite David's failures, God never left him. Despite David's failures, God never left him. And it seems like such a cliche, such an obvious, such a very repeated church Christianese statement. But what exactly do I mean? Um, And to understand this main point, I think we need to break up this into two parts. So despite David's failures and God never left him. So first, what is David's failure? What did David do that was so terrible in this passage that I'm making such a big deal out of it? So um, in the beginning of our verse, we read in verse 5, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and uh, harps and, uh, and a bunch of instruments. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon and Uzzah put out a sand, oh, what the, sorry. Before, sorry, before this verse, we read that the reason why they're celebrating is because they have retrieved again the ark of God. Um, So when David became king, they retrieved the ark of God. What is the ark of God? The ark of God is basically this golden box, very large box, which at the time of the Old Testament contained the presence of the Lord. And if you were with us in previous sermons, you may have heard this before. 
Um, and there, are, there is a lot of laws. There are a lot of laws surrounding the Ark of God. There are a lot of specific dimensions. There are a lot of specifications that needed to happen in building this Ark. But for our purposes today, it is enough to understand that the Ark of God was literally the presence of the Lord. Literally the presence of the Lord. And I would hope that there is a mutual understanding that when we hear that this thing had the presence of the Lord, there should be an idea that this is a big deal. And because of this is a big deal, there needs to be a lot of laws regarding the Ark of the Lord, right? And thankfully, God did not just give them this Ark and leave them empty-handed, but God gave them a law to understand what to do and how to go about the Ark of the Lord. And there's like, there's like several books in the Old Testament that outline what to do, what not to do. And this is so serious that if you were to mess up even a single one of these laws, God says the presence of the Lord is so intense that you will die. That you will die if you mess up any one of these laws. One of the laws about, about this ark was that there is only a specific type of people, there's only a specific type of person that can interact with the presence of the Lord. One of them was the priest. And I know over the past weekend we learned about what a priest is. And a priest is someone who connects, and long story short, connects the people of God to God. Someone who enables the people of the Lord to connect to the presence of the Lord. So the priest can interact with the Ark of the God. Not only the priest, but there is a select group of, uh, there's a select nationality of people that can connect with the Ark of the God, that can actually touch the Ark of the God without dying. Unfortunately for David and unfortunately for someone named Uzzah, they are not the priest. They are not that select group of people. So we read in our passage, they're walking, they're walking, they're celebrating, they're celebrating. And oxen stumbles. Uzzah sees that the ark of the Lord is potentially going to fall. He extends his hands to hold it up. And then because he broke the law, because um, he went exactly in direct violation with the God's law that was throughout all of the history of Israel when they were wandering in the desert, he immediately died. He immediately died. <clears throat> Him touching it without, while fully knowing the law, they should have known the law, while fully knowing the law um, caused them to die. And I believe that in a deeper sense, this was really an indication into what they were actually thinking into what they were actually feeling into what into what the state of their hearts were and what do I mean by this because so far I still didn't exactly say what a failure was other than the fact that they disobeyed one of God's laws which is already a huge failure but um, there is more to this I believe <clears throat> so as we all know and I've been saying this every single time that I preach for the last I don't even know how many months David spent many years waiting to become king and in the last time I spoke, a couple of months ago, he finally became king, and it was such a big deal, and everyone was so happy because everyone loved David. David loved being king. David loved the Lord. Everyone loved David. And because of this, um, once David became king, or only after David, did David become king, we see that David actually willingly let some rando touch the Ark of the Lord. That's very interesting because I don't think that David would have let that slide a year ago. I don't think he would have let that slide 
if he were on the run from Saul. I don't think he would have let that slide if he weren't king. <coughs> he randomly let, I mean, he let random people carry, he let random people touch the ark of God. And I wonder if David's negligence in this story, if David's whatever attitude about this is, um, I wonder if he was thinking, you know, I finally achieved the goal that I've been working towards my entire life up until this point. I finally reached the pinnacle of my potential. I am finally king. So, hey, I must be good. I must, I must be chill with God. Gangy, right, Stephen? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so sorry. Um, I have waited all these years. I have ran from murder. I, I, I've done, I've put in the work. I should be good. And I wonder how many of us, including myself, actually have a similar mindset as our lovely King David in this passage. I've worked so hard, and I finally have my summer plan set. I, I have a job lined up for the summer. I have a job lined up after school. I must be good. I've gotten into the school that I wanted to. I've gotten into the grad school that I wanted to. I've gotten into Rutgers University, State University of New Jersey. Woo! Woo! I must be good. I've gotten the job that I've wanted. I've gotten the job that I've been dreaming of. I've, I've passed the medical school. I've, I've done all these things. I must be good. Right? God gave me this job. God gave me this school. God gave me this community. So surely, if things are going so well in my life, I must be good. Maybe even... Maybe even I had such an amazing time connecting with people at retreat. I had such an amazing time reconnecting my relationship with God at retreat. I must be good. And I believe that these very subtle and these very honest thoughts are breeding grounds for comfortability, breeding grounds for maybe even complacency. And it is these things that I believe are exactly the state that David is growing in as we speak in this passage. David is growing in his comfortability with God, which is so surprising because he hasn't even been king for that long, right? Um, he hasn't even been, I don't think he's been king for a year yet. I could be wrong. <laughs> but he hasn't been king for a long time. And... <coughs> um, as I said before, throughout David's time as king, we will read more and more. And if you read the book of 2 Samuel, you'll read over and over again David's mistakes as king. You read all the times that he was negligent of his people. You'll read all the times that he's negligent of himself, of God. Even And I believe that the central root in David's heart was this comfortability, this complacency in his heart that is growing ever since he became king. So that's his failure. That's, that's the core of David's failure. Yes, he broke the law of God. Yes, he let someone break the law of God. But the root of this came from the fact that he grew comfortable and he grew complacent with God. But as our main point says, despite David's failure and despite David's continuous failures, God never leaves him. Um, so that's our second thing. That's our second half of the theme. So how did God never leave him? 
How is God so faithful? Why is God so faithful? Um, God did not willingly omit or forget the law, right? God didn't say, ah, oh, David, like, you know, we're, we're good. Uh, you're, you're my favorite right now, David. You're like the best guy in Israel. So because you're so good, I'm going to turn a blind eye to this little innocent, honest mistake, and I'm not going to kill Uzzah. God didn't do that. God said, hey, David, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you think you are. You broke my law. And just as I am faithful to you, just as I am faithful to everyone, I am faithful to my law. And I will honor it. So Uzzah died. <clears throat> so that's, um, that's something that God did. However, we read in the second half of our passage. We read in the second half of our passage in verse 10. Sorry, verse 11. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. Only three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So what happens here? David was upset that this happened. We don't know exactly if he was upset at himself for letting this happen. We don't know if he was upset at Uzzah for being so careless. We don't know if he was upset at God um, for not being on his side anymore. But David was upset. And because of this, David felt disconnected with God to the point where David's like, okay, I, I, I don't want this in, in my house anymore. I don't want the Ark of God. Put this in Obed-Edom's house, whoever that guy is. Put him in his house. <clears throat> When David does this, when David does this, the Lord, instead of being petty, as I know I would, instead of abandoning David, instead of doing what maybe all of us think that we should have done, that God should have done, the Lord blesses Obed-Edom, the house of Obed-Edom. <clears throat> um, but if we were to go back to David feeling upset, David was upset that what had happened I mean, David was so upset that what had happened, at what had happened, that he wanted to maintain some level of distance from God. David was so uncomfortable. I mean, he was initially uncomfortable, but then because of what happened, he, he became uncomfortable with God. Uh, maybe he felt guilty. Maybe he was upset at God, whatever. But the bottom line is, David put up a barrier between him and God. And this barrier was uh, physical distance. He put the ark of God in a separate place from his house. <clears throat> and in David doing this, David is saying, Lord, please stay away. Stay away, God. I'm afraid. And I wonder if we do the same. I wonder if we do the same as David. When we had a bad week with a particular sin, we look back on our week and we're like, oh, man, I, I did that sin again, didn't I? Um, or I didn't do that thing that I want to do again, did I? I didn't read the Bible as much as I should have, did I? I didn't pray as much as I should have. <clears throat> um, maybe some of us fall into this, uh, this, this mentality. Maybe some of us fall into this, this trap where we emotionally, we mentally, and maybe even physically separate ourselves with God, <laughs> God, and the people of God. Um, what does that, what might that look like? I actually, I hear this more often than I wish I did, but I, I hear people say, I'm going to, I'm going to get right with God before I come to church again. I feel like I need to get right with God before I can 
go to Crossway or before I can go to go, go wherever. I can go to this Bible study. I can go to this EMP. I need to I need to get my life together. I need to do all these things. I need to stop doing the sin. I need to read the Bible more before I'm able to bring myself to the presence of the Lord. <coughs> and for David, he messed up. He knew he knows he messed up. And I wonder if he was thinking, I, I need to I need to do all these things. I I I screwed the pooch. I need to take some time to repent. I need to sacrifice these things. So in the meantime, God, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. And until then, I'll catch you later, God. But please, still be on my side. Right? And in, in us doing that, in David doing that, there's a subconscious question that I've been actually thinking myself personally over the last couple of weeks. But the question that we're asking is basically this. Have I messed up so badly? Have I screwed up so badly to the point where God won't want to be with me anymore? I know that God promises he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know that Jesus covers all of my sins. But have I messed up so badly? Have I not done a good enough job as a Christian to the point where God looks at me and says, I love you, but I can't really continue using you in my ministry anymore. I love you but I'm going to keep my distance away from you. So what do we do? We do what David did. We separate ourselves. Um, we separate ourselves. During David's time of quote-unquote avoiding God, right? because you can never really avoid God, but in, during David's time of avoiding God, <clears throat> God was communicating something very important to David. And it's something that I think we've been listening to all weekend. Something that I think uh, Joe Fisher, the, re the retreat speaker, he was communicating, he was trying to communicate to us that God is trying to speak to us and send the same thing that God is trying to speak to David. I am not against you. I am for you. I am not against you, David. I am for you. I am not against you, Crossway. I am not against you. Fill in your name here. I am for you. Verse 11. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. What is God saying when he blesses this household? He's saying, despite your violation against my law, despite you feeling complacent with me, despite you feeling comfortable with me, despite you feeling like you know everything there is to know about me now that you think you're king, despite all of that, despite your efforts to distance yourself from, away from me, I am for you. I am for you. And it is that same very message that God is knocking on the doors of our heart, banging on the doors of our heart, saying, I am for you. You may feel like, and I know I feel this all the time, but I may, we may feel like we can separate ourselves from God. We, we messed up so hard to the point where maybe God just doesn't love me like he used to. God says, I am for you. And God's highest display, God's highest display of this idea that he is for us, his highest display of his faithfulness to us, despite our continuous unfaithfulness to him, is the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And over the weekend, we learned about um, who Jesus was in his three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And really, the fact that Jesus is even willing 
to be our prophet, priest, and king. The fact that he's willing to be the prophet, the one who speaks truth into our lives, the one who speaks truth in us, saying he loves us, he is for us, he will never leave us nor forsake us. The fact that he's willing to be our priest who covers, off, uh, covers all of our sins, who covers us and, and bridges the gap between us and God. The fact that he's willing to be our king, our good, benevolent, perfect, holy leader that we need and not only need but we want. The fact that he's willing to do all these things and he's doing it perfectly is the highest display of his faithfulness to us. And not only does he display his faithfulness to us, he covers the fact that we were unfaithful. He covers the fact that David failed. He covers the fact that you and I fail every day. And he covered that when he died on the cross for us. In regards to, un, to our unfaithfulness, Jesus responds to that with, I have already paid the price for your unfaithfulness. And what do you get in return? You get Jesus. We get Jesus. We get a God who tells us, I am for you and I am not against you. And this is, this is going to be the recurring theme of David's life. This is going to be the recurring theme of David's time as king. And this will be the recurring theme of my life and for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus until we see him face to face again. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you and we love you and we need you. We need you to be for us. We can't we can't last for a moment without you. And I pray that in the times when we feel like we, are, we have strayed too far away from your reach, in the times that we have feel we have strayed too far from your grasp, remind us over and over again as you have, as you do, and as you always will, that you are for us. And as we as Crossway Fellowship come together, may this truth never depart from our hearts. That our identity is rooted in you. Our identity is being known by you. Our identity is that God is for me. Help us to believe this when we don't. Help us to, help us to know this truth. Help us to love this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.